Joe presents Liquid Football. Hello, welcome to Liquid Football on Joe. It's the show that takes you inside the dressing room and puts you in the boots of the players. Joining me this week, Steve Sidwell, and a big welcome on his Liquid Football debut to Anton Ferdinand. Uh, Liverpool extended their lead at the top of the <clears> Premier League <throat> to 16 points with a game in hand, yep. with a 2-0 win over Manchester United. Mm-hmm. And finally, the Liverpool supporters are singing, singing. we're going to win the league. It's yep. the first time that, that they've done it. We can... Rather than, than go over the game in, in general, I wanted to ask you about Jordan Henderson. There have yeah. been a couple of shouts. Just <clears throat> one of the, the, the newspapers is calling for him. There have been a couple of mentions from ex-players on Twitter that he might be in with a shout of player of the year. Mm. He's not the type of player who, who would normally win that. But the fact that he's been mentioned in the conversation, does that mean that people are starting to notice what he, he does for the team? Yep, definitely. Um, he's getting accolades now, isn't he? Do you get... England's player of the year, player of the year, didn't he as well? So I mean, look at the caliber of players in that squad. Uh, Listen, playing against him throughout throughout when throughout my career, and uh, just you know, a player that just gets knows his role, gets on with it, does all the hard jars, does the dirty work. The flared players would love him because they can roam and do what they want, knowing that he'll fill in um, and and. Do and, and do the side tracking and, and, and won't even moan about it. I mean, they're worth their weight in gold, not only to players, but even to a manager. And how many yeah. times has Klopp come out in not just this season, but previous seasons as well and said he's very, he's, he's in, an important cog to, to obviously the whole uh, dynamics of this squad. So it's about time that he's been getting that case because it's, it's nice to see them people get noticed. And there's many of them out there, but I think he's getting it more so now because the way Liverpool are playing because they're dominating games and running right and winning leagues. Yeah, well, not yet. Yeah, it's all over. Come, not yet. Come they, haven't, they haven't won it yet. It's Anton, all over. But you, you knew him from Sunderland. So as a kid coming through, what what was he like? Was he someone that you had sort of earmarked out as somebody who would go on to be a European Cup winning captain? Um, yeah, I mean, my first game for Sunderland was in the reserve team game because I'd come back from a hamstring injury. And I remember he played right wing. He was a winger. Formerly, when he was when he was uh, younger, he played on the right. David Myler played centre of the centre of the park uh, with Jack Colback, and I played centre back in the game. And I remember them three were unbelievable, but especially Jordan, his crossing was like Beckham-esque. The way he used to whip in the ball was brilliant. And I said to a few of the um, the, the coaching staff in the twenty three, I said, "Who's who's that boy? He's got a chance, that boy, isn't he? Like, yeah, he, he's good." But until he started coming and training with us, mm. that's when I saw what everyone's seeing now in terms of his work ethic. He's driven, you know, um, and this is why he deserves what he's getting at, at the moment, you know. So, for instance, if I was in the gym doing push-ups or pull-ups and I'd done 20 pull-ups, he would look at it and go, you know what, Anton's a first-team player, I've got to be able to do 20 pull-ups. And he would make sure in the next coming weeks that he could do it, you know. Um, and that just shows what type of mental strength that he had. And how driven he was, but the main thing was, with when you're looking at the Liverpool team now, he's not the best player in it, but the respect that he has in that dressing room just lets you know what type of person he is. Because it's it's easy to be a captain to be the be have influence over boys when you're the best player in that team. But when you're not the best player in the team, but people listen to every word you say, that just shows what type of person you are. Yeah. 
Definitely. And you hear you hear the manager's voice when he when he talks and he's saying about focusing and mm. he came off even after the the win um against Tottenham and he you could see him sort of saying it's to, to Jurgen Klopp, yeah. yeah, it's not good it's enough. Not enough. And we didn't play well and it was was annoyed despite the fact that they, they got the win. But watching the development, as Anton was saying, he's starting on the right wing. He's yep. played in lots of different positions around yeah. around midfield, but he's made this one mm. his own. He's got a real consistent role under Jurgen Klopp. Yep. As much as he, he gives to the, the players around him, as much as they appreciate him, what's he like to play against? Well, I think just re- just like just touching on him now, he's 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 learned a lot from obviously Stevie. You know what a what a way to to learn off him and uh, as a role model, probably on the pitch yep. and off the pitch as well. But I remember playing against him, and he had that arrogance from an early age as well. And you get you normally get that from lads, kind of at a big club or a big academy. Mm-hmm. Not no disrespect to Sunderland, but you know you, you, you kind of get it from you know a lad that will come on loan from an Arsenal or a Liverpool, and you're thinking, "Who's this little shitbag?" <laughs> I mean, like he's a, yeah. he's a sort of bit chirpy on the pitch, and he had that about him straight away from Sunderland or a Londoner. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> London exactly. Yeah, yeah you so it from someone from Sunderland. so straight away, but. His performances was backing it up as well. So there's one thing saying things, but then if you're not backing it up, but playing against him, obviously we you know he's got legs. So you know if you're going to make a run, he's going to be doing that with you. But he's going to be going the other way as well. Um, but for me, his positioning has always been good. Like he, when, yeah. as a midfielder, when you get on the ball and you're trying to thread balls in, he he he, he, he he reads you, or sometimes he leaves a little gap open for you to thread one through, and then a split second he intercepts. Yeah. Like his, his possession regains are ridiculous. So it was it was always a bit of sort of cat and mouse with him. It was never a case of who's better on the ball. It was there was a lot of mind games to it, um, and and every time you played against him, you come off not felt physically just exhausted, but mentally as well. I mean, he was um, he was he was a top prospect. You know, you know a lot of it with him knowing him is. Pre-season, he made sure he was in top shape going back and being ready for the start of the season because in his head, it was a case of looking at someone and going, well, you ain't going to be able to outrun me. Mm. And as a footballer, having that takes your confidence to a new level. As footballers, we often use the word thoroughbred, feel like a thoroughbred. After three games, three, three four games, you feel like you feel at the top, Peak, the peak of your of your fitness, but he was like that consistently throughout the whole system, throughout the whole season. He was consistent like where he was going on pitches, going, "Well, they ain't going to run me." But like you said, mm. he would run, he would match your run that way, and then yeah. turn around and run with the same intensity going forward. And then you got to track him back. And he's yeah. in his head, he's thinking, "Okay, he might be moving now, but when it gets to the 70, 80 minutes, they're not going to be with me." And he thrived on it. Mm. Yeah, you can see with that attitude why he works so well under under Jurgen Klopp. What kind of personality is he, do you think? He's a confident boy. You know, he's a confident boy. You know, uh, City used the word arrogant. Off the pitch, he's not arrogant at all. He's so down to earth. He got time for everybody, you know, and I think that's why he's loved as a person at the football club. You know, um, he's... Just someone who who just wants to be the best footballer that he possibly can be, and he's going to utilize every bit of every ounce of of energy, mind space to be that person, and he's reaping rewards now. Having sort of sung his praises, if you were going to make a highlights reel for Jordan Henderson, what would you put in it? Because I think that's maybe why he doesn't 
perhaps <clears throat> get credit from fans or particularly if you if you're watching on television especially if you're watching yeah. sort of just the highlights of, of yeah. the games from the weekend you're not necessarily going to see what it, what he does that's, no. that's so important but i think that's that's where he's learned his game isn't he like you look at him at sunderland he was a, probably a player that they looked to create goals score goals defend he, to, he, was, he was putting fires out everywhere he was doing everything yeah. in every position whereas now at liverpool he's got such an array of talent in front of him that he can just get it and no disrespect but people say get it and give it to the good players well, he can just get it give it to Salah give it to Firmino obviously back it up as well but he doesn't need to sort of be out on the right wing no more although he can do I mean he's passing people sort of knock his passing but his range of passing is ridiculous yeah. he can be a quarterback he can pick it up deep spray long balls when it bought uh, little ones that come in around the corners he's got he's got all of the different types of passes the, he now knows that he can just give it to these players and just go go on that's and the thing the he plays his teammates he plays and that's what you see in Jurgen Klopp as a manager being so fantastic he plays to the strengths of his, of his players yeah you look at you look at when he's on the ball you know, because he has got that range of pass. His diagonal pass is very good. So when he's on the ball, the boys stay wide. They stay high and wide. Mm. You know, they don't come into pockets because his best ball is that one, the diagonal ball over the over the back of a of a, a full back mm. or over the other side of a midfield. Yeah. You know, so that's Jurgen Klopp probably drilling into his players, saying, "Listen, when this person on the ball, I want to see movement. If not, if this guy's on the ball, you stay high and wide." You know, and he plays to his teammates. Like I say, he's got three fantastic players in front of yeah. him who are setting the world alight. Not just English football, but they're setting the world alight. You know, and say he wins it, gets it, and gives it to the people who can do damage. Yeah, and, and makes life easier for the fullbacks as well. Yeah, 100%. And that's where his legs are so important. You know, his, his fullbacks in that team, they play like wingers. But he gives them... The, the reassurance to go and play high and do their work in the final third because if anything happens he's always the blanket mm. he can get there he ain't and he's not one of those guys who don't want you to try things he wants you to try things you know if you're giving if you keep giving the ball away it'll get onto you yeah but if you give the ball away like he done it to Trent Alexander the other day um yesterday sorry when he gave the ball away and they nearly scored from it. Mm. And he turned around and gave him a rollicking. Yeah, 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 that's right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But he's also that guy where he's, okay, I see what you tried there, but don't worry, I'll get you out of the shit. <laughs> because it's about the team, it's not about him. Yeah. And he's a team player. Yeah. And that is why he governs the respect that he's got at, at the football club. And um, we need to talk about goalkeepers as well. Um, first of all, Firmino's goal that was disallowed for mm. Virgil van Dijk's foul on, on David De Gea. Yep. VVD on DDG, but what do you... Do you know what? Yeah. Do, you, do you know what? I, was, I said it and I was like, I could get this so wrong. <laughs> FFA. Um, so, <laughs> so, what, so what do you think? One, one, was it a foul? Should the goal have been disallowed? I, th- I think it was a soft foul. And the people say soft foul, it's either a foul or it's not... He, when he does jump, he does. There's an element of opinion in it. So yeah, it is great. Yeah, for me, it? he does just knock his arm. Um, and we know goalkeepers are protected. Um, so I, I, I think it was the right call, in my opinion. I think in modern day football, that's a foul. You can't get away from that. In modern day football, it's a foul. Back in the day, that's not a foul. You know, even before our time, that, was, yeah. that wouldn't be a foul. But it's interesting, um, we were speaking about it before. 
with uh, Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher talking about it, David De Gea has got to get his knee up or his yeah. leg out to protect himself. If he does that, then he catches the ball perfectly. Yep. You know? Um, but he didn't. You know, but he got away with it. Yeah. He got away with it. He got away with it and the, and the goal was disallowed. What do we think about David De Gea at the moment? I mean, you were saying about that, it's not quite a criticism, but saying that, you know, if, if he wants to protect himself properly, he can hold his knee up to sort of give yeah. himself that that extra protection. But is he... I There's mean, one against Everton. He's not, he's not at the peak of, no. of his performance, no. but, but how far off is he? He's not a million miles off, is he? Um, there was the Everton one, wasn't there, earlier in the season where you think he can just come out... I mean, for a keeper, you've got free reign to come out and just smash people, haven't you? Yeah. You know, if you can't <laughs> yeah. hit the ball, then you can literally punch yeah. someone in the chops and, get, <laughs> yeah. and still get away with it. You're making it sound yeah. like a good position <laughs> no, now, aren't you? It? <laughs> it was. When you used to hear keepers, it was, that, was, that was the cue to get out of the way. <laughs> yeah, it it? When it you heard keepers, get out of the way. Yeah. That's what that meant, uh, you know? Yeah, I think it just looks like... But you could say the same about the whole... Man United squad, it just looks a little bit edgy, a little bit confidence. Um, and that, that's filtered through to obviously the goalkeeper. But he's not a million miles off it. I mean, I he still kept him in it a few times yesterday, didn't he? Some of the saves yeah. that he made. I think you've got to look at it as in, like, with David De Gea, he's always been used to having a, a back line in front yeah. of him, which marshals itself. And they got each other out of shit at times. Mm. Now nah, he's facing shot after shot after shot. David De Gea, for me, is one of the best at not being in the game for a long period of time and pulling out a world he saved. Yeah. That is someone who... That's a goalkeeper who's made for a club, a, a top two, three club, who have a lot of possession of the ball and every so often the keeper has to make a save. That's where he's at his best. And now he's not that. Now he is, I'm under pressure for... yeah. You'll be exposed. Yeah, mm. 50, 60% of the game. He's under pressure. You have to make save after save after save. Whereas what he's used to and where you see the best of him is concentration in terms of, oh, he's got nothing to do, then all of a sudden that one save wins, wins them the game or stops it from being a draw, you know, or stops them from losing the game. And I think that's the difference now. You know, you get mm. players who, football players who are, Better in a top side in a top four team, yeah. where especially defenders, where you're playing a top four team, you don't want to defend. You don't really have to mm. defend. But the minute you go and play in a team who's not in the top four, and you have to defend for a long period of the game. Then you see the real defender in them, and they're not as good as what they are in a team where you're, you defend with the ball. And um, one player who missed the game at Anfield yesterday, Marcus Rashford. But he could be out for months. He's got a double back stress fracture. And the reports suggest that he's, he's been managing a back problem, which would probably be the double stress fracture. Um, mm. he, he got it at Wolves and he's been, he's been carrying this for a little while. If you have an injury, is it better sometimes to play through it than it is to take time off and rest yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, only he will know yeah. the extent of it as in, as in pain-wise. But you've got to, probably got to remember that from Monday to Friday... The amount of people they got round him in terms of physios, masseurs, chiropractors, you know, they got the lot, you know, that will just obviously fluff him up, getting ready. Probably not training every mm -hmm. day. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. That's probably why we're not seeing the Marcus Rashford that we all know. Yeah. Because he's not trained every day. Yeah. And it's hard, you know, as a footballer, it's hard to switch it on and off. Yeah. The Very top players hard. can. The top player, like the, yeah. the, the, like the natural talented players can. For me, I had to be at it every day. I had to train every day. Even if I had an injury... I still want to be out there every day because I feel like I'm missing out or if I'm not getting the same prep as I was for the last week, it, it play on my mind. Um, 
But again, I mean, most players play with an injury. Yeah, I mean, I've never, played throughout I, my career yeah. with injuries. Everyone, you, you talk to most players. I never, I never played 100%. I always had a niggle, always had something. I don't know whether that was just, that was my way of being nervous. I don't know. Mm. You know, because I, I never, ever really got nervous playing football. I never got, like, some people get jitters, get butterflies. Some people were sick, like, before they go out. I was never, ever like that, you know, I, but I never felt 100%. Never. No. I'd always go out thinking, oh, my hamstring's a bit tight. Oh, my calf's hurting me. Do you know what I mean? Or, Doc's or... coming around here with like, a <laughs> smarty bag. Yeah. He's yeah. coming around with a smarty bag, right, yeah. just popping out the inflams out to everyone. Exactly. Exactly. I used to take an anti-inflammatory before every game. Really? An anti-inflammatory. Did that become almost like a like a habit or a superstition almost as well? Or did um, you just feel that you needed it? I felt like st- I needed I it. Your stomach was thinking, please, yeah. <laughs> stomach, you know, yeah. please. Yeah. yeah, it was. But I, I, I don't know. It's just I never felt 100%. So it was, that was my go-to. Yes, Doc, I'll have one of those. Yeah, yeah. You know, even back in the back in the day at West Ham, sometimes you used to get a jab in your, in your ass. Yeah. To pick me up. Yeah, yeah. You know, just to, to get out of there. What, but, like, like a vitamin shot or a sort of... Yeah, that pick me up shot, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's like... Pressure that not that the club put on you, but you're thinking, right, I've got to play because if I don't, then I lose my shirt, someone else steps in. Yeah. They could, if they play well, they could be in there till they play poorly. So, I mean, like the pressure that he's under at United, because obviously he's the main focal point, isn't he? Um, that he's put under himself to play and play. And then obviously now it's got worse. It's manageable, but it's got to be driven by him. You know, yeah. it can't be driven by the club because the club are going to say, oh, you're playing, you're playing, you're playing because he's the main yeah, guy. You're playing every day, yeah. But that's what I was going to ask because if you're surrounded, as, as he will be at Manchester United, by physios and sports scientists and people who are taking every measurement of your performance mm. and, your, and your fitness all the time, constantly doing that, th- at some point there's got to be a conversation with the player as well, isn't there? It's like, how are you feeling? Do you feel that you can, you can, yeah. you can go on? But then the players... Like, they can't... Miss, no, because you, you hear so many times of players being told that they can't play because yeah. the numbers are, are wrong. Yeah, so, as a as a player though, you don't want to let your teammates down. You don't want to let your fans down. You want to play. Like me, I wanted to play all the time. You know, it was only if I like, physically couldn't run, uh, then I couldn't play. But if it was like a, a an impact injury and that, okay, strap it up. I wanted to be out there. Yeah. You know, so it was it was. You don't want to let your people down. You don't let your fans down. You don't let your club down. Sometimes that onus has to be taken away from the player. Yeah. You know, and the only people that can do that are the professionals in that field, which is your medical team. Mm. You know, yeah. If it's a danger to your health, then they've got to is. step in and go. Exactly. Yeah. This decision's taken out of your hands, and you're not playing. But he's a United boy, isn't he? Yeah. Like, you can, you can see him, you know, it's, it's I said before, like, when you've experienced it, the foreign players that come over, they a little sort niggle. of toe now. Oh. I mean, I'm not playing, I'm not playing. I'll, like, I'll play next week. Whereas the British lads or the ones that's been at the club for a long time, they're like, yeah. listen, strap me up, get me out there. The the only player, an emotional the attachment. Yeah, exactly. The only player, he's definitely yeah. got that. The only foreign player that I've had that's been like that is Carlos Tevez. Yeah, but you can see player. his mentality straight away, really isn't he? Yeah. yeah, that I've had foreign lad who, who's been like us mm. in terms of like oh, I've got a niggle, but I'm going to shut up and I'm going to get out of there. And he's the only player that I've seen switch it on, on and off. Mm. Like he was probably one of the worst trainers I've ever trained with, but knew Saturday come he'd be the hardest working. Yeah, I wonder if there's if if that's if that's a, 
a good thing to have in British football culture, this, this kind of attitude that I'm going to get out there no matter what, that, that, that having an injury is seen as a, a sign of weakness, a missed opportunity. But, I wonder if that's the right way to look at it. But mm. that, that's how we are as a country. Mm. You know, one of the most iconic pictures is Terry Butcher with a, yeah. with a bloodied head. Mm. Same with Paul Lynch with a bloody head. Mm. That's, uh, they're iconic pictures to us yeah. as a country. You know, that's the, our mentality, that's the way we are. Yeah. Now, I know growing up playing football, that's how we was brought up within the academy. It, was, it isn't like how it is now. In academy when we were growing up, it was who's the mentally the strongest. Yeah. That's what got you there. It wasn't always your talent. It was who, so for instance, we'd do a running session in the morning and, in the, and you'd be fucked, you'd be on your knees and in the afternoon you're going out to do one-on-ones and that one-on-one weren't to see who's got the skills, it was who can keep going? Yeah. Who's got the mental strength? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas now, nah, you're not allowed to do that. Yeah, because it's going to have a you know, different impact. Exactly. But that takes it back to, to the to the brave heart type of of um, country where it, that's what it is. Yeah, that's, we are, that's us. That's yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, and, We've definitely got that. And there's pros and cons. Yeah. There is pros and pros cons. cons to it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's great to have that mentality. It helped but, me. Yeah. yeah. It helped, it helped yeah. me. Yeah. When we're talking about young players and, and their development, one of the ones that was linked to, to Manchester United was Erling Haaland, who's just... We, we, we'd see him in the sort of... Particularly this season, the qualifying stages of the, the Champions League, and he, everybody was talking about it. He was just scoring goals for fun. Gets his big move. He chooses to go to Borussia Dortmund. Left field, wasn't it? That was. No one see that. But he came on as a sub. They were three-one down against Augsburg. Twenty-three minutes later, he scored a hat trick, and they won five-three. I mean, that's that's some debut, that's isn't it? Class. That's, it. that's, and that's it, a debut. That's what dreams made, yeah. yeah, that's what dreams made. That's like that's. Let's go Wazza. Wazza. Yeah, it's about to say Wazza. Fenerbahce at, yep. at Old Trafford. Yeah. Bosh, bosh, bosh. Mm. That's it's, class, isn't it? it? Is and he's brilliant. brilliant. But it's also that thing, the measure of the player when you put him into to that sort of co- competition, you put yeah. him into the Dortmund team, you think, well, all right, until you know, until you've got him on the pitch, yeah. you don't really know what's what's going to happen. You might have an educated guess, yeah. but you don't know. Not phased one bit. Not. I mean, I've not even seen the goals. I've read the reports, but mm-hmm. that just screams out. I've never out of a, seen him play. Yeah, but it just screams out of a player. Like, like you're talking about everything that we spoke about there, about talent, mental strength, mental capacity energetic, just someone that just goes, you know what, it's another game. Yeah. I'm not, it, it doesn't matter where it, it is, is, what it is. I'm just going to go out and perform exactly the same. Can you, when, it, when, you've, when there's a young player who's got all this potential and has all this attention on him, mm. is there anything you can do to help them stay grounded or has it got to come from them? Like, is there any advice you can give them or any way you can, you can sort of talk to them or do they have to have that perspective <sighs> there's in them? There's just so many different stories, isn't there? You're like, Outside influences. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. only so much that the football club can do because the football club only have you for a certain amount of time through the day. But it's your friends who you have around you. Mm-hmm. You know, are they, if, they, if, they've got their be- if they've got your best interests at heart, they will steer you the right way. Mm. If they're in it for what they can gain and the lifestyle, then they'll have you at every party going because they want to be there. Mm. You know, and, yeah. and I think. Especially now with social way social media is, you know, it's 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 a craze. You know, people want to be not, they a lot of young kids now they like the thought of being a footballer but mm. don't like what comes with actually getting there. Yeah, the hard yards, the hard yeah, yards of strikes. getting there. You know, like you see a, a young player put one in the top corner, it's on 
Instagram within half hour. Mm. You know, just yeah. to get his followers up. Not 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 because it was a good goal. Just to get his followers up. Yeah. But next thing you know, he puts it on. Puma, Nike, Adidas. Oh, who's this boy? Mm. It's become yeah. like it's a it's so a true. craze. It's a craze now. So I think. It comes from the player. Ultimately, it comes from yeah, the you make You make your decision. that he's but, got his... Like, Al is his dad. Yeah. Then there's, he's like, look, this is the path you yeah. follow if you want to be a top So, it, ultimately, it comes from the player. And this player's going to fall off the tracks, like everyone does yeah. in life. To, to, to forget football out of the way. But it's, then when you come off, when it's, it's about getting back on. So, it's then, right, who's around you? As you said there, friends, family... Agents, agents now yeah. that are looking after at young ages. If they if they're all in it for the for the goodness and that, and then they're going to get you back on, then that's fine. Then it'll happen again, you know. But then you, hopefully you learn from your mistakes. But it's, it's I mean, kids are getting more and more the, exposed to it at they are. age now. But I mean, these kids need mentoring. They need mentors. They need them. The likes of yourself, myself. They need mentors where who have been there, done it, wore the t-shirt. Mm. You know. And they need to listen to them. Of course. Mm. Like, it's it's. It's crazy. You speak to some kids nowadays and it's like, oh, but this has happened. And because this has happened, I, I, I don't want to be at that club no more. It's not as easy as that. You've got to go and produce for there to be any type of situation or chance for you to move from that club. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But if you're not going to go and produce because you're not in the right state of mind, then you're going down a dead-end path. Do you think in, in terms of mentors that you're actually better off I mean, everybody talks about the model pros at club and say what a great inspiration they are and, and how they're setting the example, and uh, all of which is true. But you think in terms of uh, one-on-one mentoring that actually you're better off having an older player who has gone off the rails at some point in their Definitely. career and who does have more oh, life experience. Yeah, yeah. Of course. And then we've all had, I mean, I remember when I was at Arsenal's youngster, I remember Tony Adams. Obviously, he went from one end of the spectrum to the other. He come on, uh, come in, done a... a, a, a um, a chat for the lads and everyone was like, like literally like that so and it just it, it, you kind of think because there'd be some of the lads that would have been drinking even at a young age at 16, 17, 18 would have been drinking at the time yeah. would have been gambling as well and they're like fucking hell don't back my ideas up like I'm going to go yeah, into where that, 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 that dark alley where he went to so just always little talk to that and that's going back to when what's that I was 20 years ago now and that happens now you get more and more people that do come into the football clubs yeah. and as chats I've sit down with the lads. You can't be a mentor, and if you're mentoring, talking to someone based on something you ain't been through, mm. it's impossible. You're not going to give them the, the advice that they need. I wouldn't feel comfortable mentoring to a kid, and he's got a question that he asked me, and I've never been through it. You know, I'm just lucky. I know enough people that if I haven't been through that situation, I can pick up the phone and go, oh, "You went through this situation. Yeah. How did you deal with it?" And what's the pros and cons to how you dealt with it? And mm. then when I've received that information, I can go back to the person I'm mentoring and give them feedback of something that's happened in real life, not what I think potentially could have happened, because then I'm harming that person. Because mm. if I steer in the wrong way, I'm harming him. Yeah, yeah. You know? So I think if to be a mentor, you have to have gone through some of the stuff that they're going to go through, 100%. There's a lot of it goes on unofficially, isn't oh. there? Yeah. yeah. Lots of yeah. young players on the phone, older players going in, and yeah. even like retired players going in, yeah. having a word with people. Yeah, yeah, load of dressing rooms. Um, I mean, I was one. Jermaine Pennant, when Pennant signed for for Arsenal, 
at 15, Liam Brady pulled me to the side and was like, listen, put, put it bluntly, we've got this little toe rag out of Nottingham from Notts County. I need you to look after him because he is one that will will, will, yeah. will stray. So, and that, and that goes all the way through even to like, when I left the dressing room a couple of seasons ago, people said, listen, just keep an eye on him. Yeah. And just, just watch out, just make sure he's all right. So... And you were the sensible one in that. <laughs> I might end up being the sensible one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this... Imagine Pennant looking after me. No chance. <laughs> Not a chance. You're listening to Liquid Football on Joe. Time now for the challenge. This week it is Sounds of Sunday League. It's exactly what it sounds like. We'll play you a five-second clip of a sound from Sunday League football and then you have to guess what it is. You can hear it twice okay. to give you a little bit of extra help. Uh, because, Anton, it's your first week with us, Steve, you can go first. Oh, thank <laughs> it's you. All right. <laughs> I hope it's an easy one. Here is your first sound. Oh! Oh! Oh, I tell you what, I know what that is. <laughs> I and bet you do, you've seen the card. <laughs> what did it sound like to you? Uh, it sounded like someone getting hurt at the start right. and then like a, like a, like a crunch open up a beer bottle. <laughs> no, like but a fuzz, like that, a, like that's a wishful thinking rather than... Yeah. What, what do you think it is, Anthony? The magic sponge and bucket. It is exactly that. Is did you really? Know? Yeah, you can hear the, the bucket, bucket rattling. The <laughs> One point to our guest then. Here we go. I tell you what, Anton, this is going to be a great start to life on liquid football. Uh, this is your first sound. <laughs> it might just be as obvious as you I think it is. One thing that. <laughs> that dog running on the suction tape. It's exactly that. I was thinking it can't well, be that. It can't be that easy. It's a trick. That was one. that from Sheffield United? Like, <laughs> yeah. dog was in the training pit. Have you ever had a dog interrupt a game? No, not interrupt a game. No, I have Sunday league. Really? Yeah. I was just happy that it weren't chasing me with the ball because I would have been off. So are you scared of dogs? Oh, I'm not anymore. I've got one now, yeah. but I'm not anymore. My wife's got one. But well, it sounds like it sounds like a small dog that he's yeah, got. Of course, as well. of course. <laughs> right, third sound, and it's yours, Steve. Right. Got to be pumping up a ball, isn't it? it? Sure. Pumping up a ball. Eh? Well, I'm off the mark. Right. Pumping up the ball. Here Anton, we go. this one. That was me back in the day. Dad, can you clean my boots? No. (laughs) They're your boots, you clean them. It is banging the mud off boots. That's not like nowadays, is it? They get like the airspray. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. like the air guns. Next one's yours. (laughs) (laughs) Sparking up, isn't it? It is exactly that. Seen that, I've seen that obsessionals and all. Yeah, there's been a few of them. <laughs> Telling you, Thomas Repka used to go in the in the uh, toilet half time and light one up. Did he? Yeah, yeah one time <laughs> he lit one up and the bloody fire alarm went off. <laughs> <laughs> and it went around the stadium. You know the the code word. <gasps> no. Yeah, oh Mr. Moon is in the building. <laughs> <laughs> it was Thomas Repka. <laughs> Upton Park is Mr. Moon is in the no building. Way. Right, Anton, this one's yours. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> you yes, enjoyed that one. I did. Half time oranges. It's exactly what it is. Yeah. I tell you what. Good sound. They Who are, knows this? Yeah. <laughs> Go on, Steve. <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> yeah, we've all had that one before. Yeah. <laughs> I've had that at pro clubs and all. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Not cold just shower. Only. It is a cold shower, ten. Yeah. What are pro clubs? Oh. No hot water. Southend. Uh, right, next. Oh god, next one's yours. <laughs> we've all done that one as well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yep. bringing up a bit of sick from That's, your night out. Yeah, <laughs> from last night. <laughs> last night's antics. It is a Sunday yep. morning after a Saturday night out with someone being sick on the bringing, bringing up McDonald's brekkie. Has he got everyone right so far? Yeah, he has, hasn't he? he has, wow, he has. Right, this oh, is I your I next sound. Yeah. <laughs> There's got to be someone smoking someone's ass. <laughs> With? It's got to be a little towel, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> oh, I went for it. Oh, yeah. oh, you dirty bastard. Get in there. <laughs> oh, we've all been Too cheeky, that's your problem, son. <laughs> exactly. Wait, this is your next... <laughs> this is your oh, next no. noise. Ah! Oh. I got this. If you if you get this you win. If you don't get it, it's a draw. So it's it's a big one. So, well, I don't know. <laughs> Given that I know the answer to this, I'd like to put a disclaimer on that. Uh, <laughs> I've had this. It's definitely Sunday League. Better Dean on a on a cut. It could have been, but it's not. It is. is. It? Is it, is it like Fiery Jack in the pants like around the balls? Deep heat. Deep, deep heat. heat. Yeah. Okay. Deep heat, deep inappropriately heat. placed. Yeah. Either it, deliberately or accidentally. Yeah. I've done that to a few. Yeah, I got one in the in the face in training and the boys like were laughing. So I was like, oh, no problem. I'll mark that one. Let it go for a few weeks. One day. <laughs> <laughs> they went out for an afternoon session and I didn't go out. All four of them, bang, 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 bang. <laughs> in their in the, in the, yeah. the boxes. In the boxes. So all the way home. <laughs> Remember the group chat going, oh, who the fuck done that? <laughs> it's like that mint shower gel. You know that mint yeah. shower gel? Yeah. It's just forbidden in that yeah. football changing rooms now. <laughs> you put, you put that on any time. Right, so it's a draw. After all that excitement, the honours are That's how we treat shared. our guest. It's Let's true. It's true. You're listening to Liquid Football. On Joe. Picking up um, from from where the, the conversation was brings us on a little bit about those external influences in, in football and how that can have an effect on what happens on the pitch. Because, Anton, you've talked about how the death of your mum affected you and how you found that football, which had been helpful to you, yeah. what wasn't working anymore. No, it wasn't. I had always used football as a get-out for anything happening in my life off the pitch I'd always use football and I'd go into football for that two three hours a day training and my mind would just be on football I'd stop thinking about what was going on off the pitch and then 90 minutes on a Saturday I'd be clear as a day I'd be happy so to speak but this is the one and only time in my footballing career where football didn't give me an out and I honestly didn't know how to deal with it at times and it put me into places that I don't wish on anyone, you know, not having a release. And I speak to my wife about a lot of things, but with this, she, she couldn't help me with this. I had to go and help myself. Mm. And it wasn't until I seek counselling that I understood the problem, what the problem was. And it became clear to me what the problem actually was. And that's when I was able to 
started separating football and what had happened with my mum. But I still was going on the pitch, not caring about the result, not caring about how I played. And for people that know me, no, that's not me. I grew up in Peckham playing football, dreaming about playing the Premier League, dreaming about being a professional footballer. And every Saturday when I went out on the pitch representing my friends and family who had helped me get to this place. So I always wanted to win. I always wanted to play well. And for me to not have, not have that in me, it made me fall out of love with the game. You know, and I, I couldn't couldn't deal with it at times. But then going from that and hearing fans jeer you and, and call out and say, oh, Anton, you're finished, you're shit. Mm. And I'm thinking, bloody, you don't even know what I'm going through, mate. Yeah. Or you do know what I'm going through, but you're just choosing not to acknowledge it. You know? Um, but... We sit here today and that's part and parcel of football. Yeah. You've got to take the rough with the smooth in football. You have to take the rough with the smooth and don't mean that it's right, I don't mean it's wrong. But fans and people watching football sometimes need to understand there might be something, a deeper issue to why they're not playing well. Not always the way. Some of them might just be going for a bad patch in it or they're just not as good as what they think they are mm. or what you think they are. But... With my situation, it was common knowledge. You know, it had been put out there because it was mine and Rio's mum. It was put out there for the for the public to know and in the public domain, so everyone knew, you know, and I, and I found it hard not turning around and going, you fuck off, do you know what I'm going? I found it hard not doing that. There was times where I wanted to turn around and go, fuck off, you fucking talking about, or being... Going out, coming out of the ground afterwards, and people asked me for my autograph, and I wanted to go fuck off my autograph. You're just booing me. But I you're the one that, that seems to have to be professional. Yeah, I had to be professional. Yeah. I was club captain at the time as well at at Southend. I had to be professional because I'm representing my club because I'm the club captain, and that's how I that's how serious I took the armband. Yeah. It was my club. Yeah, you know, but I had to be professional because everyone was watching me, so I had to be professional. So how were you feeling on on a typical match day under those circumstances? You you know when you you from the minute you get up in the morning preparing for the the game, how were you feeling? Just thinking, why my mummy? Like she like you? It's acceptable, more acceptable when someone dies and they're a bit older. My mum was fifty eight, you know, and I couldn't accept that. It was she was fifty eight and she died so young, mm. and being prominent in my life and. In my whole family, she was the the head of my fa- of my family, and for her not to be there it was always like, why 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 does she have to go so early? Why is she not here? You know, and it was it, that's what I struggled to deal with. And then going to a game, it was like, because as footballers, the minute you leave your house, it's work. You're working. Yeah, yeah. The minute you step out of the comforts of your home. You're now working because you're now in the public domain. People want to chat to you. People want to ask you for for um, picture, want to ask you for autograph, or they want to slag you off. So you're now working. You can't. You have to react. In a, you have to act in a certain way. So it's now work. Yeah. I just wanted to go home, where it wasn't work no more. Where I could, if I needed to cry, I could cry. If I needed to shout, if I needed to swear, I could do that at home. Whereas I couldn't walk down the street and go, oh, fuck off. Because mm. people look at me and go, what's up with Anton? Yeah. What's up You'd with Anton? Up. <laughs> you know what I mean? What's, yeah. up, what's up with Anton? Or someone will film it and it'll be, all, it'll be viral. Mm. So I, went, I needed to get home. I just wanted to be at home. 
when you were at work, that, did people notice the, the difference in you or you, were you hiding it? Yeah, um, I tried to hide it. I'm quite a... You speak to anyone who's played with me, like you speak to Bobby, I'm loud. I'm, I love banter. I love banter in the dressing room. I didn't go to work to be serious all the time. In the dressing room and around the training ground, I wanted banter. I was involved in a lot of the stuff that was going on around the, 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 any training ground I was in. But the minute I went out on the pitch, I was serious. So I was no longer that person. I would attempt to go in and to try and cover it like I'm all right. I would attempt, but it just wasn't the same. You know, I was never at the forefront yeah. of it. It was the same, and it was Simon Cox, you know, and Michael Timlin, who, who, who were really good friends of mine, and, and Anthony Wordsworth, who were not just football friends, they're really good friends of mine. <laughs> football friends. <laughs> they're, they're good friends of mine. And it was them that noticed it more than anyone. And they, like, remember Coxie taking me for a few walks around the, around the training ground, saying, come on, I want to speak to you, and trying to reassure me that he was here for me. But no one could deal with it for me. I had to deal with it myself. And he spoke to the physio, Ben Clarkson, at Southend, and he spoke to Sporting Chance, mm. and they got me a um, counsellor, and I went and saw the woman. I was seeing her, seeing her for about 12 weeks, and... It helped me massively when I was able to talk about it, you know, and she helped me identify the real problems of why I was struggling. And I managed to, to sort myself out. And then when I left Sun, I le- when I left Southend and went to St Mirren, which evidently has been my last club, the love for football started to come back because I mm-hmm. dealt with my issue the love of football started to come back yeah. and I actually wanted to go and play whereas if I hadn't dealt with that issue I wouldn't have wanted to go there I would have been finished from, from leaving Southend And listening to you talk about the players in the in the dressing room who were <clears> looking <throat> out for you because we, we talk a lot about football needs to do more in, in helping with mental health there needs to be better awareness of it and, and there are lots of campaigns around it but it feels as though we should acknowledge as well that there is as we were saying earlier with, with mentoring young yeah. players giving young players yeah. advice senior players getting involved players looking out for each other in in the dressing room because you know each other inside out it seems that we should we should acknowledge the fact that there's a lot of really good stuff that is going on unofficially a million percent and i've seen it firsthand i mean anton spoke there superbly that's obviously directly with him and his family. I've been in two dressing rooms with two high-profile players where they've lost their mum and one lost their dad. Obviously, Frank Lampard, when I was at Chelsea, she was young as well, and what the dressing room done there. And when I was at Brighton with Anthony Knockhart that lost his dad. So two big personalities, big figures in, in two different dressing rooms. And I'll, I'll take it the same thing happened at South End with Anton where the dressing room just goes bang. It literally just closes up yeah. and just like, not smothers because you've got to give them time and space to deal with it and in their, in their own manner, but everyone's just tight-knit. The club just sort of just closes down, you know, yeah. the dressing room especially, and you're always there for them. You won't sort of go up every day and be like, listen, you're all right, you're all right, but you're, they'll, they'll know that if they ever need you, like you're there. So like when we was at Chelsea, we went to Pat's funeral. At Brighton, we, we went to Lille on the train, um, I went to Knockout's dad's funeral, which and which was we a surprise. Went, we all went. Yeah. He didn't even know. He didn't even know. He broke down in tears on the day. And when you, when I suppose in that situation that you could probably could relate to, when you see your teammates that just become a family yeah. and just get round you, I mean, it must just be like a, a, just a massive pick me up as well. No, definitely, it definitely is a pick me up in terms of 
just knowing, you know, like we use the term when you go on the pitch and t- things start to get hard, can I look to my left? Can I look to my right? Can I look to my left? Mm. And know that that person's going to be with me. When something like that happens and then you look to your right, you look to your left, when you're at the funeral and you see them there, it's like, wow, mm. this is real life. And they're doing that. So imagine what they're going to be like for me on a football pitch. So yeah. it does give you that, that yeah. pick me up. It really does. But in terms of talking about mental health and that, the clubs are, and your dressing room's good and stuff. But I'll tell you firsthand, I've never had a phone call from the PFA, the FA to ask me how have I, how have I been, you know, and, and these are the people running the game. You know, like I, said, it's, like I said, it's not a case of my situation with my mum wasn't in the public domain. It was big news because it was Rio's mum as well. So it was big news. But not once have I ever had a phone call or a text from anyone from the PFA who's the footballing, the union for, for us footballers, who we pay every year. I've never had one phone call about it. But they want to do little things that tick a box to do with mental health. Come on. Yeah, would you like to see then something more formal in place? 100%. There are gonna, we are going to start to see changes actually in the, in the PFA cause, yeah. Yeah, because Gordon Taylor's leaving once that's all all sorted out. And that, it feels like an opportunity to take things on to... And like you said, there, there have been campaigns and, and yeah. you know, they, they, would, they would obviously put their own side of the, the story there. But when, you, when, when they do have this opportunity for change coming up, what would you say that they, they need to do as, as a union to be able to support players? They need to know what's going on. They need to know. So you'd see your union rep maybe twice a year. Mm. So he don't, when he comes, he don't one really of know. them sort of end the season exactly, <laughs> exactly year exactly yeah one's at, the, one's at the start of the season to to come and tell you the new rules yeah. and new things to do with social media racism and all that stuff and betting mm-hmm. and then the other one is to come and do your team of the year yeah and your player of the year you know what I mean so do they really know what's going on do they know what's going on in the club do they know what's going on in the dressing room. Yeah, you know, I think they need to be a bit more, and they've got the resources to do it. They, as well. they need to be more proactive rather than react. They react to things rather than being pro- more proactive. But if there's there's room to change, and with Gordon Taylor looking like he's stepping down and moving away from it, and someone else comes in, this is definitely a part that needs to be sorted out because you hear every other week now someone talking about mental health yeah. within football. It's become more open now, isn't it? One hundred percent. Whereas before there was that bravado and ego one well, where of course. I can't say that whereas now I think a lot of people are just going and they're seeing people like yourself and other high profile players doing it Jesse Lingard wasn't it the other yeah, day he talked about his family situation Brilliant. and the pressure Superb. that he's been under yeah. yeah Sterling was another one you know I think you yeah. start seeing that then more and more so there will be there will be changes for the better as well yeah and and like you said a lot of the, the campaigns have been around talking and sometimes it, you need to actually put practical things in place yeah. as well because encouraging talking is one thing and then what happens once yeah. a player's talked, yeah. as, as you did, and come out and openly said, this is affecting me, I need to go and get this sorted, mm-hmm. and I need to go and get help. Then how do they help? Then how do they practically put Spot that in, in place? Um, changing the subject completely. <laughs> did you see what the Den Haag fans did for Alan Pardew mm-hmm. and Chris Powell? Yep. Because there's <laughs> this, if you, if you haven't seen it, it's this enormous banner. They were calling it a TIFO. I don't think a TIFO is the one with the with the mosaic thing, isn't it? That's a TIFO rather than the big banners. Is, it? is that right? I don't know. But anyway, anyway, it's the massive banner 
and it's got <laughs> it's got Pardew and Powell as Ghostbusters <laughs> with the phrase "Who are you going to call?" But then when you start when you start looking at it, like Chris Powell's been at the front of all the Den Haag players in front of like the their supporters as well, like crouching down, leading chants, getting mm. the fans going. They are fully immersed in the sort of fan culture at, at Den Haag. But have you seen um, you in Turkey? You must have seen the most like unbelievable ways that that fans and players react and and what fans want from the the players. Yeah, I mean, Turkey is is next level stuff. I think it's something that should be brought here. I mean, when I signed for Bursaspor, Scott Carson was there and before a game, in the warm-up, a section of that, the main section of of your stadium, which has the hardcore fans, it was called the Texas area at Bursaspor. And they, um, they in the warm-up, they would sing your name. And they'd sing your name for you to come and acknowledge them, right. you know. So I was, uh, Scott Carson said to me, oh, you know, you've got to go and, like, give the fans a, f- a fist pump or three fist pumps. And I went, pardon? <laughs> and he went, yeah, you've got to go and give the fans three fist pumps. When they call your name, I went, ah, oh, shut up. Yeah. I thought he was bantering me. Yeah. Luckily, when on the pitch, I wasn't the first one to get called. If I was the first one to get called, I would have been in trouble because mm. I didn't know what was going on. But I'd watched a few of them do it. And some of them went and acknowledged and clapped the fans. Some of them went and gave the fist pump. And obviously I wanted to give the fist pump because yeah. it was like... <laughs> day I, wanted to be, I wanted to get involved. So I heard my name, Anton Ferdinand. Anton Ferdinand. So, OK, it's my time, I'm off. So I started to jog over and then you hear them and they're going, ooh. And as I come out, I went, hey, hey, hey. And I'm telling you, I absolutely loved it. I loved it. And I listen, I couldn't wait to get out for the warm-up every game just to, to go and do that I absolutely loved it it got me pumped for the game got me up for the game but not just that I watched Tunchai who used to play for Middlesbrough here he um, he was with me at Buzzersport mm. but he was a big legend at Fenerbahce because that's where he started and we went and played Fenerbahce away and he ended up doing every side of the state every stand because they were because they were showing their appreciation for him yeah. for his career and what he's done and how much they still love him. He done every every state uh, stand. He had to go and acknowledge and give him a clap and a bow. And what I if think he that's, didn't that's do it? What if you didn't do it? If what you if didn't you were do it, slow? it was carnage. Wow. If you did, I'm telling you, if they sang your name and they had to wait for you, they were whistling you. They didn't want to know. And then when you come over, you get whistled and get told to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> it was unbelievable. So you just have to if you want to leave the stadium, you're in the back with a blanket over it. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, they're so passionate. There, that's class. Ruthless. Right, listen, I played in big derbies in England. You know, the time and weird derby yeah, was yeah, frightening yeah. in terms of where you know, like from me to you, I'm shouting at you, and you you ain't can't hear me. You got to play an instinct in them games, yeah, and you got to make sure you, you're checking your shoulders in them games because you can't hear people. Yeah, over there, it's next level. It's like that from the warm up to the end of the game. You don't hear anything. Yeah. It's a blur in terms of your, you don't see and hear anything. It's just like you got to try and take it in, but it goes so quickly that sometimes you go to the pitch and you think, oh, fucking what happened? Yeah. What was that? You know, but that is Turkey for They say about Besiktas Stadium's got the highest decibel, mm. been recorded with yeah. the highest decibel. Yeah, that's right, yeah. You know, it, it's, it's crazy. You and know, even before you get in the ground. Before you before get in, Yeah, I remember playing against um, Besiktas for Bullsport and it's a massive, massive derby over there. And we was leaving the training ground to go to the game and fans stopped the bus before we left the training ground and they were like chanting us and it was crazy and I was thinking, what's going on here? And it was the first game I was starting. <laughs> 
So I was a bit nervous. I, I was a bit thinking. I was thinking, wow, like, come on then. You said you didn't get nervous. I was yeah, thinking, yeah, I didn't get nervous. I had a couple that day. But I'm telling you, like, it wasn't, a, it wasn't, an, it wasn't like nervous energy. It was more like, like, wow, mm. this is like crazy. And Tunchai and, and Scotty Carson had told me, like, this is a, a big, big game. Mm. But I was replacing their golden child who grew up in Bullseye, named Serda Resist, who now plays for Galatasaray, I think he does. So I had big shoes to fill because they loved him. And I was like, wow, this is going to be a big game. Yeah. Then we got to the ground and all of a sudden the coach stopped abruptly before we was entering the ground. And the fans surround, I'm talking like a few thousand people surround the... Your fans. Our fans, yeah. Bullseye fans. And they were chanting, and they're over there, they're quite aggressive. And I, da, 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 da. And I was like, what are they saying? And I went to the interpreter, I said, what are they saying? And he went, you don't want to know, Anton. <laughs> I was like, eh? Tell me what they're saying, went, Anton, you don't want to know. I said, tell me what they're saying. They were, they were singing, if you don't beat them, you're not leaving this ground. <laughs> if you don't beat them, you're not losing this ground. I was like, oh, okay. And that's not a threat. I'm, t- I'm telling you, it was, it was crazy. Went into the ground... And so we're talking within five minutes of leaving the coach, of leaving them and getting off the coach. I went in and done a wee and went onto the pitch. So that's what, five minutes. Stadium was full. So the people that are outside, <laughs> they probably weren't even coming to watch the game. No. They were just getting involved in the atmosphere. Oh, it was really? mad. Was it that was the crazy. one where you had to have towels? No, that was a different one. <laughs> that's, that's what I mean. Turkey, Turkey's mad. <laughs> We played away at Kasim um, <laughs> Pasha and I was on the bench for this game, getting splinters in me off. But I'm telling you, the kit man come over and he handed towels, started handing towels out. And I was like, what do I need this for? But he couldn't understand a word I was saying. So I asked the interpreter, he said, ah, oh. I said, why do I need a towel? He went, for protection. I went, protection for what? <laughs> he went, Anton, just make sure whenever you're sitting in here, put the towel over your head, please. I mean, why did that? He went, they'll be spitting at you and throwing things at you. I couldn't believe it. Oh, my God. From minute one to the 90th minute, I was... Ooh, ooh. There's another, ooh, there's another one. I was happy I got the towel. What were you thinking? I didn't sign up for this. What's going on here? I just... The life of a professional football player. Know. You know what? It was mad. And in that game, it's actually on YouTube. The goalkeeper, Harun, one of their, their opposition uh, fans come on the pitch... And he beats him up. <laughs> the goalkeeper beats up the fan. It's on YouTube. It's unbelievable. Yeah, that just sums up Turkey. It's unbelievable. No, I was going to ask you if you'd ever seen any great banners or anything. I'm not going to bother, Steve. Yeah, no, I don't think we're going to top any that. of that. No. We're definitely not going to top any of that. And in fact, we're not going to top any of that over the rest of the show because that is it for this week's Liquid Football from Joe. Thank you very much to Steve Sidwell and to Anton Ferdinand. We're available every Monday. You can download the podcast or you can watch us on YouTube. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like what you hear. And we've got a Facebook Facebook page as well. So if you search for Liquid Football, you can join in the chat on there. And remember, you can check out our other shows as well House of Rugby with James Haskell and TKO with Carl Frampton. For now, though, thanks for listening. You've been listening to Liquid Football on Joe.